Ladies and gentlemen, recording from Los Angeles, California. Welcome to another edition of the one and only podcast known to the world as Sean Sports Style. That's right. Where Sean Tiplitsky gives his unique opinion on the biggest news stories in sports. That is right. Thanks to legendary UFC ring announcer Bruce Buffer for the intro. Uh, it's awesome. It gets me hyped up every time. This is episode number 347, and thank you so much for listening, wherever you may be, however you may be listening. Before I get into it, I want to say I hope you're having a great day, great night, whatever time it is, wherever you are, um, if you're listening, and if you enjoy the show, please, you know, feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes, follow the show on Spotify, Sean Sports Stop, check out my website at seansportstop.com, follow me on Instagram at seanhard, though, it's S-E-A-N-H-A-R-D-T-H-O, and with that said, without further ado... There is a lot to talk about. Obviously, I did an episode a couple of days ago. Before that, it's been it was five weeks since I did an episode, a podcast episode. So with that said, there's been a lot. You know, week two of the NFL season uh, was over the weekend. It's uh, Wednesday today, so I'm going to go into that. Starting off with Tom Brady and how how well he played and his comments on his play. Uh, but there's also other sports, NBA trade rumors, the Ben Simmons drama with the Philadelphia 76ers, baseball playoffs are right around the corner, about 10 games left in the uh, regular season, other football news, some other NBA news, some NHL in the mix there. So with that said, we'll get right into it, starting with Mr. Tom Brady, the eighth wonder of the world himself. For the Tampa, for Tampa Bay Buccaneers star Tom Brady, throwing for five touchdowns apparently left room for improvement. He said, quote, I know I can play better. He told reporters after a 48-25 to victory over the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday, I could make some better throws. You know, that's an amazing mentality to have, and I think that's a huge reason why he has been able to play this long. I mean, he's in his, what is it, over 20 seasons now in the NFL. Six Super Bowls, you know, would be eight Super Bowls easy if not for Eli Manning. The Giants are my second team, so I'm very happy about that. Don't get me wrong. The point is Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time, and he continues to play at the highest level, you know, he has not fell off a cliff like Max Kellerman infamously predicted he would a few years ago. <laughs> I mean, in fact, he might have gotten even better. So the Buccaneers win 48-25. They're on 2-0 on the year while the Falcons fall to 0-2. Matt Ryan had a pretty bad game, 35-46. He did throw for 300 yards and two touchdowns, but he also threw three interceptions. Josh Rosen, who I had no idea is on the Falcons now, went 0-2. Uh, that's it, you know, two attempts, no completions. So after being a first-round pick by the Arizona Cardinals, he then got traded to the Dolphins. He was on the 49ers after that, on the on the 49ers, and I guess he found his way to the Falcons. You know, I kind of missed that. Uh, Corderell Patterson had a rushing touchdown for the Falcons, but he didn't have a good game on the ground either. He had seven carries for 11 yards, which is barely over a yard and a half a carry, but he did have the rushing touchdown. The Falcons kicker, though, was pretty busy. Well, relatively, he put up five points, one for one from field goals. And a 36-yarder was his longest. Tom Brady, I mean, 24 of 36, 276 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. It really doesn't get much better than that. The only thing you could say is the completion percentage, you know, 24 of 36, uh, 12 incompletions. But come on, the guy threw for five touchdowns and zero interceptions. That's insane. Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones II both had pretty good games on the ground. No, no rushing touchdowns for either of them, though. And their kicker, who's their kicker? Uh, Ryan Suckup had six points, no field goals, so I guess they were all point. He got six points off of uh, point after attempts. 
I mean, it's hard to see how the 44-year-old can be much better through the first two weeks. He has 655 passing yards and nine touchdowns through the first two weeks of the season. Uh, that is unbelievable. And with that said, I'm transitioning to more football. Here's an update on the whole controversy between Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans with the with all the sexual abuse or harassment allegations against Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson will remain deactivated for the Houston Texans Week 3 matchup with the Carolina Panthers on Thursday night, head coach David Culley told reporters on Monday. That's despite the fact that Tyrod Taylor's hamstring injury in the Texans' 31-21 loss to the Cleveland Browns on Sunday, leaving his status for this week's game up in the air. Uh, I believe a report came out last night that Tyrod Taylor will probably miss up to a month with the injury. Uh, Culley told reporters Taylor's day-to-day, obviously, that has since been updated to about a month. Um, So if Taylor is out, no, he will be out. The team will turn to rookie Davis Mills, as they did on Sunday. It would appear Watson is not in the team's plans while his ongoing legal situation unfolds. And that's smart, you know, from a PR perspective, this is what the Texans have to do, even if they want Watson to play. Mills was up and down in relief duty after Taylor was injured, finishing 8 of 12 for 102 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. He was sacked once. So if you don't know, Watson is being sued by 22 different women who have accused him of sexual assault and misconduct. He is being investigated by the Houston Police Department and the FBI. So this is a huge deal. The Texans don't want him playing while the legal issues and investigations are ongoing. Uh, The NFL is also investigating Watson, though Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk reported September 11th, which is 11 days ago, that the league, quote, hasn't made a decision about Watson because it doesn't have to make a decision about Watson. With the Texans content to pay him to not play, and with Watson content to not play and get paid for it, the NFL has no reason to do anything about it. He's already on paid leave. And that's a good point. I mean, that's kind of an ideal situation. The NFL is like, listen, both sides are cool with it. The legal situation is ongoing. They're investigating. We shouldn't get involved and make things more complicated and just, you know, stupid. So I think that's uh, really smart on the NFL's part, to be honest. Transitioning to more football, more injuries. Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa is considered day-to-day with his latest rib injury. Head coach Brian Flores told reporters Monday, and it's already known that he will not play Week 3 for the Dolphins. Uh, They're scheduled to face the Las Vegas Raiders next Sunday. Per Tom Placero of NFL Network, Tagovailoa suffered bruised ribs during his team's 35-0 loss to the Buffalo Bills on Sunday on September 19th. X-rays were negative on the injury, which forced the ex-Alabama superstar out of the game. However, Pelissero added that Tagovailoa uh, was, quote, in a lot of pain. Facing a 4th and 2 from the Dolphins' 48-yard line in the first quarter, Tagovailoa attempted to convert the first down with the pass to Jalen Waddell. Bills defensive end A.J. Epeniza delivered a hit on Tagovailoa before the pass fell incomplete, and he fell down hurt, you know, bruised ribs, possibly fractured ribs, hopefully not, but hopefully Tua is back. I love watching him play. I believe he's the only lefty quarterback in the NFL right now. So, yeah, hopefully he recovers quickly. Switching gears to baseball. The San Diego Padres have one of the biggest collapses. Uh, they're in the middle of one of the biggest collapses of all time, in my opinion. They have been wi- they were widely considered um, you know, a lock to reach 100 wins this season and potentially win the National League West over the Los Angeles Dodgers. Not only will they fail to do that, they are almost certainly going to miss the playoffs. I mean, for pretty much the entire year, they were neck and neck with or not the entire year, but for months, they were neck and neck with the Dodgers and the, you know, resurging San Francisco Giants, who have surprised everyone. The Giants uh, reached, have reached 98 wins for the first time, or 90, it was in 93 or 98 wins for the first time since 2003, when Barry Bonds led the league in intentional walks and obviously was on the Giants. Uh, so the Giants never reached this number of wins in any of their three World Series championships in 2012, 20, 2010, 2012, and 2014. So the Giants have really been legit this year, on top of being very good and talented and just a very gritty team. They've had a lot of luck, a lot of blue pits, you know, coming back in the ninth inning, just like they did yesterday. They were down 4-1 to the Padres. 
The Dodgers uh, had a very close game with the Colorado Rockies on the road. Uh, and if the uh, Padres would, would have beat the Giants, it would have been great for the Padres, but it also would have been amazing for the Dodgers because that would mean the Dodgers and Giants are tied uh, for, the lead, for the lead in the National League West with uh, 10 or 11 games left in the season. Padres were up 4-1. The Giants ended up winning the game 6-5. They just always, Lamont Wade Jr. with the game-winning game RBI in the ninth inning. It was crazy. It was a crazy stat I saw because uh, the Dodgers also had a game-winning RBI in the 10th inning. It was from Albert Pujols, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. But what's crazy is that for both teams, the game-winning RBI was driven in by a player that was not on the opening day roster. Lamont Wade Jr. for the Giants and uh, Albert Pujols for the Dodgers. So, but now we have to talk about the Padres. Fernando Tatis Jr.'s dugout blowout with Manny Machado was reportedly a long time coming. Kevin Acey of the San Diego Union-Tribune reported the situation had been percolating, quote, for weeks, with some veterans in the clubhouse growing frustrated with Tatis, quote, brooding as the team falls out of playoff contention. I mean, they were one of the best teams in baseball, and they're currently like three and a half or four games back of the second wildcard spot behind the St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals also swept them a few days ago. That was huge in St. Louis. The Cardinals, I believe, have won 10 straight games, so they're, red, they're white hot at the absolute best time. The uh, Padres, on the other hand, are the exact opposite. So what happened was Machado was shown a needing to be held back in the dugout as he screamed at Tatis after the shortstop outfielder argued a fifth inning strikeout. While Tatis was not tossed for the incident, manager Jace Tingler came out of the dugout to protect Tatis and was tossed from the game. Quote, it's not viewed negatively. We're a family. We're not going to discuss the details, but we care. There's passion. There's frustration. Those are all emotions that are natural, and those things happen. And I agree with that. I mean, just because you have Tatis and Machado go at each other, you know, almost come to blows and argue and yell at each other, that doesn't mean that there's beef. That doesn't mean that there's that one of them did something wrong or one of them's right, the other one's wrong. That just means that they're frustrated. They're both passionate. They both want the Padres to win. You know, as a Dodger fan, I hate the Padres, but that's just what it is, in my opinion. Uh, AC's report said the incident confirmed the suspicion of some in the organization who feel Tingler, quote, does not possess the sway to command respect from the team. Tingler is in his second season as Padres manager, his first time leading a club. Padres third base coach Bobby Dickerson was the first person to approach Tatis over his attitude on Saturday. AC reported Tatis became, quote, incensed at the admonishment from the coach with Machado attempting to stand stand in because of his own bouts of immaturity in the past. So Machado knows. Machado sees himself in Tatis. He knows what it's like to be a hothead. He knows what it's like to be disliked across the league. Not that Tatis is, but there are some similarities between Manny Machado in the past and Tatis in the present day. Uh, Ken Rosenthal, Dennis Lynn, and Britt Giroli of The Athletic reported the situation was evidence of a, quote, leadership void in the Padres clubhouse. Tatis's emotions are said, to be are said to greatly impact the team, whereas Machado has become, quote, preoccupied with matters beyond his control. So yeah, I mean the Padres have virtually no chance of making the playoffs now. They'll probably—I mean, I'm sure they'll bounce back next season. I don't think—I mean, I, I'm almost certain both Tatis and Machado uh, will be on the Padres next season. As for uh, their manager, I'm not sure about that, but I think the Padres will bounce back. Now let's switch gears back to some football. Indianapolis Colts quarterback Carson Wentz left Sunday's game against the Los Angeles Rams after spraining both of his ankles and was replaced by Jacob Eason. Colts head coach Frank Reich told reporters about the diagnosis for Wentz, adding it was, quote, too early to tell if he would be available on Sunday against the Tennessee Titans. Uh, so he sprained both ankles, and Wentz told reporters after the game that he didn't believe his ankle is broken, so that's very good. I mean, Wentz was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in 2018, and it was actually against the Los Angeles Rams in L.A. when he was with, still with the Philadelphia Eagles, where he tore his ACL, uh, and he has kind of not been the same since. But it, he's looking... He's been looking pretty decent this season, you know, definitely serviceable as a starting quarterback for a, for a playoff, potential playoff contender in the NFL. 
quote, felt it right away and it did not feel good. He said, per the athletic Zach Kiefer, tried to tape it up and do everything I could to finish the game. It's a bad feeling to not be able to finish the game in that situation. You kind of feel like you let the team down a little bit. And I feel for the guy. I mean, it was a, it was a close game at the fourth quarter that, when he went down, but he just couldn't stay in the game. So uh, he kind of got down on himself. But yeah, I mean, he was, before the injury, he threw for over 4,000 yards. Um, or excuse me, he threw for over 4,000 yards in 2019 with the Eagles. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, the, the Colts absolutely need uh, Carson Wentz. And um, let me just, since I'm already talking about this game, uh, it was a close game. The Rams edged it out 27 to 24. It was a pretty ugly win or ugly pretty win, you know, depending on how you look at it. Matthew Stafford had another great game. 19 for 30, 278 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Daryl Henderson had a very nice game as well. 13 carries, 53 yards, over four yards a carry and a touchdown. Sonny Michel only had 10 carries, but he had 46 yards, over four and a half yards a carry. So it's pretty solid as well. Robert Woods also had two rushes for six, six yards, obviously three yards a rush. Cooper Cup, I mean, the guy is one of the best wide receivers in football. He's the number one wide receiver in fantasy football. He had nine receptions for 163 yards, over 18 yards a reception and two touchdowns. What a game for him. And on the kicking side, Matt Gay, what a game for him. Two of two, 38 yards as long as field goal and nine points for the Rams. So for the Colts, Carson Wentz, not bad at all. 20 of 31, 247 yards, a touchdown and an interception. And then Jacob Eason came into the game. He was two, he went two of five with 25 yards, no touchdowns and an interception. On the running, on the ground, Jonathan Taylor, I mean, not a very good game. 15 carries, 51 yards, under three and a half yards a carry, no touchdowns. Carson Wentz also had five carries for 37 yards. And that's obviously almost seven and a half yards a carry. And on the kicking side, a Rodrigo Blankenship. Great game. Three of three from field goals, 10 points total. And his, his longest was a 48-yarder. Um, so, yeah, now we're going to switch gears to more football. Last night, or excuse me, two nights ago, was the Monday night football matchup between the NFC North matchup between the Green Bay Packers and the Detroit Lions. Uh, the Packers got absolutely blown out by the Saints in week one. And Aaron Rodgers had probably the worst game I've ever seen him have it was terrible uh but the packers bounced back they bounced back big time from their week one loss beating the detroit lions 35 to 17 the lions i mean they kept it jared goff had a great game they kept it decently close for you know a big portion of the game but aaron jones had four touchdowns he was unstoppable he ran all over the lions and yeah huge win for the packers so they they improved to one and one uh the lions fall to zero and two so a huge bounce back game for Rodgers going 22 of 27, 255 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. That's the Aaron Rodgers that we know. And Aaron Jones had 17 carries for 67 yards, a touchdown, and he had six catches for 48 yards and three touchdowns. So four total touchdowns for Jones, one rushing and three receiving. Jared Goff, very nice game, 26 of 36, 246 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, and he had four carries for 46 yards as well. So a huge bounce back game for the Packers, and it's looking like the Lions will once again be the bottom feeders of the NFC North this season. Uh, let's transition to more football. And then after this, I'm going to go through the rest of, I'm going to go through the rest of the week two matchups, uh, give you guys the scores. And then I'm going to give my picks, get, give you guys my picks for week three. Um, I might go, I might go at the spread. No, I'm just going to go like pretty much money line, just who I think is going to win. But first, Cleveland Browns wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. has a quote, decent chance of making a season debut in week three. Against the Chicago Bears, according to Cleveland.com, he has not played since tearing his ACL in Week Seven last season. He obviously, if you you might not know, he burst onto the national scene with his remarkable one-handed catch against the Dallas Cowboys all the way back in 2014. He's also known for you know being unbelievable at quick slants to the house, scoring touchdowns. 
The former LSU star's career includes three Pro Bowl appearances and the 2014 Associated Press Offensive Rookie of the Year award. Unfortunately, injuries have stunted a potential Hall of Fame career for one of the game's most exciting talents in the past decade. I still think he'll end up in the Hall of Fame, but the injuries have really been holding, holding him back of late. A hamstring injury caused him to miss much of his rookie offseason with the New York Giants, as well as the first four regular season games, but he still finished 2014 with an NFL high 108.8 receiving yards a game after amassing 91 catches for over 1,300 yards and 12 scores. He followed that up with a huge season in 2015 and another great one in 2016. Uh, the 2017 season ended in a huge disappointment for Beckham, though, after he suffered a season-ending fractures left ankle in Week 5 against the Los Angeles Chargers. He returned the next year and excelled once again, catching 77 passes for over 1,000 yards, 6 scores in only 12 games. After the 2018 season, though, the Giants decided to trade him to, to the Cleveland Browns, and he had a very disappointing season uh, in 2019 by his lofty standards, catching 74 passes for over 1,000 yards still, but only 4 touchdowns. In 2020, he only had 23 catches for 319 yards and 3 scores before suffering a torn ACL against the Cincinnati Bengals in Week 7. His 2021 season has obviously started on the sidelines, but it's looking like he might play in Week 3, but we shall see. But I'm not a rapper, I'm just a podcaster. So, um, yeah, with that said, let's transition, um, you know, let's trans- transition to some hoops. And then we'll go through the NFL picks like I promised. The second best player in the class of 2022 has chosen to play ball for Duke. Derek Lively II, a five-star big man from Westtown School in Belfont, Pennsylvania, will suit up for the Blue Devils in 2022. He's a fantastic, highly touted prospect capable of making a pronounced and immediate impact at the next level. From what I've seen, I mean, I've seen his highlights. Brendan Jenkins, a recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports, published the scouting report for the high school class of 2022 prospect on June 8th, which is what... Uh, July, so three months ago. Quote, the potential and athletic gifts of Derek Lively are beyond tremendous. He has terrific athleticism for his size as he elevates off the floor well and is aggressive in how he utilizes his springs to protect the rim and control the glass on a consistent basis. One factor that truly stands out to scouts at the highest of levels is his commitment to being a center and playing as such. He values rebounding, sprinting the floor, and keeping his motor running in a high gear. He's dangerous in the screen and He's dangerous in the screen and roll game and gives across Tyson Chandler vibes due to his length and productivity in the shot blocking and rebounding categories. However, with his budding skills on the perimeter, Lively projects as a big man prospect who could be more of a threat offensively than Chandler was. Um, so he um, he pegged Lively as a future first round NBA draft pick and compared him to longtime NBA center Tyson Chandler, but said he definitely has the potential to be much better offensively than Chandler ever was. He fielded 22 offers and took three visits seeing Duke, Kentucky, and North Carolina in person. He On June 25th, he announced on his Instagram that he cut his list of schools down to seven, which included Duke, North Carolina, Penn State, Michigan, Florida State, Kentucky, and USC. In the in the end, though, he chose Duke, and I'm very excited to see him play uh, for the Duke Blue Devils. Now, with that said, let's transition to my week. Let's transition to what happened in week two and my picks for week three. So we did the Rams and Colts. Let's see. In the Thursday night game, the Washington football team edged out the New York Giants barely 30-29 to at home in an NFC East matchup. Daniel Jones had a decent game, 22 of 32, 249 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. And he had a good game on the ground, 9 carries, 95 yards, over 10.5 yards a carry with a touchdown. Saquon Barkley, not a very good game, 13 carries, 57 yards, under 4.5 yards a carry. Their kicker, Graham Gano, what a game. He had 5 for 5, made all field goals. The longest one being from 55 yards out, and he put up 17 of the 29 Giants points. For the football team, Taylor Heinke went 34 of 46, 336 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. He is really showing that he belongs in the NFL as a starting quarterback. 
on the ground. J.D. McKissick didn't have a very active game, but he had four carries, 10 yards, two and a half yards a carry, and a touchdown. Antonio Gibson also had 13 carries for 69 yards. That's just under five yards, five and a half yards a carry. And kicking-wise, Dustin Hopkins went three of threes, longest being from 49 yards out, and he put up 12 points out of the 30 total for the Washington football team. Next up, the San Francisco 49ers marched into Philadelphia and took care of the Philadelphia Eagles 17-11 in a low-scoring game to improve to 2-0, while the Eagles fall to 1-1. Uh, it's actually out of the, uh, let's see, 28 total points, right? 28 total points. Out of 28, 18 were scored uh, by both teams in the uh, fourth quarter with the Niners outscoring the Eagles 10-8. Jimmy Garoppolo, not a bad game at all. Very good game, I would say. 22 of 30, 189 yards, a touchdown, no, and no interceptions. Just not very flashy. Jimmy Garoppolo also had 11 carries for 20 yards. That's under two yards a carry, but he did have a rushing touchdown. And their kicker, um, Robbie Good, only one field goal, but he put up five points. The field goal was from 46 yards out. For the Eagles, Jalen Hurts went 12 of 23 with 190 yards, but no touchdowns and no interceptions. He did rush for a touchdown, having 10 carries for 82 yards, about just over eight yards of carry, a rushing touchdown. Greg Ward Jr., I guess it's the Eagles' backup, also had one passing attempt. He went 0 for 1, and that's it. And their kicker, Jake Elliott, missed the field goal, but he drilled one from 45 yards out, and he put up three points, three of the 11 points for the Eagles. That's a high percentage. The Denver Broncos are now 2-0 and on the year, beating the Jacksonville Jaguars 23, um, beating the Jacksonville Jaguars 23-13. to on the road, Teddy Bridgewater, 26 of 34, 328 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Teddy Bridgewater is looking sensational for the Denver Broncos. Like I said on the last episode, I didn't even know he was on the Broncos until I was looking through the week one results. Kicking-wise, Brendan McManus, very good game. Three of three, 46 yards was his longest, 11 points. For the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, man, rough adjustment to the NFL, 14 of 33. So that's very bad, 118 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. Uh, not good at all. But he rushed twice for 21 yards, 10.5 yards per carry. And kicking-wise, uh, Josh Lambeau did not have a good game either. He went 0 for 2 with only one point. So if he made both field goals, it would the final score would be 23, uh, 23 to 19. So perhaps the game would have been different, but we don't know. The New England Patriots bounced back from the week one loss to the Dolphins, beating the bum New York Jets 25 to 6 on the road. To improve to 1-1 one one, while the Jets fall to 0-2. Mac Jones, 22 of 30, 186 yards, no touchdowns and no interceptions. Not bad at all. Damian Harris and James White each had a rushing touchdown for the Patriots. And their kicker, is it still Gostowski? It's not. It's Nick Folk. Went 4-4. His longest being from 49 yards out. 13 points. 13 of the 25 points. That's over half the Patriots points came from their kicker. And... Zach Wilson, his struggles continue mightily. He's struggling even worse than Trevor Lawrence. He went 19 of 33, 210 yards, zero touchdowns, and four interceptions. That is absolutely abysmal. Michael Carter and Ty, Michael Carter, Ty Johnson, and Tevin Coleman all had solid rushing games for the Jets. And their kicker, uh, Braxton Barrios, excuse me, that's their kicker, Turner. Their kicker, Matt Amendola, went two of three. He missed one. Uh, six points. He had all six points for the Jets. That's terrible. And his longest was from only 35 yards out. Cover the Falcons, Buccaneers. Here's a shocker. The Tennessee Titans roll into Seattle and beat the Seattle Seahawks 33-30 to on the road. Both teams are 1-1 one one after this game. The craziest part is Ryan Tannehill threw for 347 yards. He threw for no passing touchdowns, zero passing touchdowns. Yet the Titans put up 33 points. And why is that? It's because of Derrick Henry. 35 carries, 182 yards. I mean, he was getting fed all night, had over five yards of carry and three rushing touchdowns. And then their kicker provided the rest. Randy Bullock, four or five. He did miss one, 
but he drilled one from 36 yards out his longest, and he put up 15 of the 33 points um, for the Titans. For the Seahawks, Russell Wilson had another great game. You know, early season, Russell Wilson is a different beast. 22 of 31, 343 yards, two touchdowns and no interceptions. And Chris Carson didn't have a good game at all. Uh, 13 carries, 31 yards, just under two and a half yards a carry. But he did rush for two touchdowns, I guess, you know, in the red zone. Jason Myers, you know, good game as a kicker. One of one from 31 yards out, and he put up six points total, three extra points and a field goal. In in a crazy, in the primetime Sunday night football matchup, the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens finally beat, finally got the better of Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, just barely holding on 36 to 35 at home, outscoring the Chiefs 12 to 0 in the fourth quarter. Patrick Mahomes had a sensational game, though, 24 of 31, 343 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Clyde, Clyde Edwards Hilaire had a good game on the ground, decent game for the Chiefs. And their kicker, Harrison Butker, had no field goals, but he had, he kicked five extra points, five points for the uh, Chiefs. Lamar Jackson, not the best of games, 18 of 26, 239 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions passing. But rushing, I mean, the guy is unbelievable. 16 carries, 107 yards, almost seven yards a carry for two rushing touchdowns. And their kicker, Justin Tucker, only one field goal from 43 yards out and six points total. Uh, next up, this one surprised me, the Dallas Cowboys rolled into Los Angeles and took care of the Los Angeles Chargers 20-17. to Both teams are 1-1 after this game. Dak Prescott, not a very good game, 23 of 27, 237 yards, no touchdown and one interception. Not a bad game, but not a good game either. Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott each had huge rushing games. Pollard had 13 carries for 109 yards. That's almost 8.5 yards a carry. And Zeke had 16 carries for 71 yards, just under 4.5 yards. Each had a rushing touchdown. And the kicker, Greg Zerline, what a game. He had 2 of 2, 8 points total, but he drilled the game-winning field goal from 56 yards out. Rams legend Greg Zerline, Greg the leg, to ice the Los Angeles Chargers and give the Cowboys their first win of the season. The Arizona Cardinals just barely survived against the Minnesota Vikings, 34-33 at home, improving to 2-0 on the year while the Vikings fall to 0-2. What a game for Kirk Cousins, 22 of 32, 244 yards, 3 touchdowns, 0 interceptions. Dalvin Cook had a very nice game on the ground, 22 carries, 131 yards, 6 yards a carry, no rushing touchdowns. Their kicker, Greg Joseph, missed one, uh, but he put up 9 points out of the 33 for the Vikings, and he drilled one from 52 yards out his longest. Kyler Murray, very, you know, good game, solid game. Uh, not as good as his week one performance, but 29 of 36, 400 yards, three touchdowns, but he also threw two interceptions. So if he had like zero or one interception, that would be a lot better in my opinion. He also rushed for a touchdown, uh, carrying the ball five times for 31 yards, over six yards to carry, and a rushing touchdown. And their kicker, Matt Prater, was perfect. He drilled, oh my God, Matt Prater. Just, he drilled one of the longest field goals of all time. He went two of two, 10 points out of the 34 for the Cardinals, with the longest being from 62 yards out. I had no idea he drilled that. That's insane. Next up, the Chicago Bears bounced back from the week one loss to the Rams with a 20-17 home win against the Cincinnati Bengals. For the Bengals, Joe Burrow uh, had a much better week one performance than week two, going 19-30 of 30 for 207 yards, two touchdowns, and three interceptions. Not very good at all. Joe Mixon had a pretty bad game on the ground, averaging only three and a half yards a carry on 20 carries. And their kicker, Evan McPherson, went one for one, five points total out of the 17, almost a third of their whole offense. And he drilled one from 53 yards out, so have a game, Evan McPherson. For the Bears, Andy Dalton went 9 for 11, 56 yards with a touchdown and no interceptions. While Justin Fields went 6 of 13 for 60 yards, no touchdowns, and one interception. Um, you know, on the ground, David Montgomery was shut down. Justin Fields, though, had 10 carries for 31 yards, averaging just over 3 yards a carry. And their kicker, Cairo Santos, went 2 for 2 with 8 points. His longest field goal was from only 28 yards away. That's very close. 
covered the Bills and Dolphins. The Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers and Denver Broncos are both 2-0. You know, I wouldn't think either of them would be 2-0. The Panthers beat the Saints 26-7. So after beating the Packers, the Saints lose to the Panthers in Week 2. Go figure. Jameis Winston, after another head-scratcher, after throwing five touchdowns and no interceptions in Week 1, he goes 11-22 of with 111 yards, zero touchdowns, and two interceptions. Terrible game for Jameis Winston. But he had three carries for 19 yards. That's almost six and a half yards a carry with a touchdown on the ground. Their kicker... uh, Aldrick Rosas did did not kick a field goal, but he did have one point after attempt that was good. For the Panthers, Sam Darnold is looking very solid. 26 of 38, 305 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Christian McCaffrey, not a good game at all. 24 carries, 72 yards, just three yards a carry, but he did have a rushing touchdown for the Panthers. And the kicker, Zane Gonzalez, missed one, but he had eight points total out of 26 for the Panthers. And he made one from 42 yards out, so not terrible. Uh, Next up, the Cleveland Browns. As I said earlier, beat the Houston Texans 31 to 21 at home. Both teams, like I said, or not, not like I said, both teams are now one and one after this game. Tyrod Taylor was 10 of 11 with 125 yards and a touchdown with zero interceptions. So he was having an amazing game before he went down. Davis Mills, on the other hand, eight of 18, 102 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Not terrible. Mark Ingram had a bad game: 14 carries, 41 yards, under three yards a carry, no touchdowns, and their kicker, Joey Sly, Joey Sly, missed his only field goal and. Um, made three point after attempts baker mayfield very solid game 19 of 21 213 yards a touchdown and interception nick chubb what a game for him 11 carries 95 yards over eight and a half yards to carry one rushing touchdown and their kicker chase mclaughlin went one for one with a 30 yard field goal and seven points total next up uh last but not least i believe uh that's all we have let's see what what else we have for week two i believe this is the last one yeah the Las Vegas Raiders keep their winning ways going, marching into Pittsburgh and beating the Pittsburgh Steelers 26-17 on the road to improve to 2-0. Derek Carr, what a game, 28-37, of almost 400 yards, 382, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, and their kicker, Daniel Carlson, what a game for him. He was named the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week, went 4-4 with a 46-yard field goal and 14 out of the 26 Raiders points. For the Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, not a bad game at all. 27-40, 295 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Juju Smith-Schuster also had one carry for three yards, which ended up uh, being a touchdown. And their kicker, Chris Boswell, went one for one with five points total, and he drilled a 56-yard field goal. So lots of long-distance field goals um, this week. I might have to call the podcast soon because I still have, like, a lot to talk about, but only... I'm going to call... You know what? I'm going to do a long one. I'm going to go crazy today. I'm going to try to get this in. Um, let's go through my week three picks. First up, we got the Carolina Panthers and Houston Texans in the oh, Thursday night matchup. It's in Houston. Panthers are 2-0. and Texans are 1-1. One one. Uh, Tara, if Tara Taylor was um, playing, it would have been much more interesting, but he's not playing, so I'm going to go with the Panthers on this one. Sam Darnold has been looking very decent for the Panthers, and obviously Christian McCaffrey on the ground. Next up, this is an easy one. The uh, Arizona Cardinals visit the Jacksonville Jaguars. 2-0 Cardinals, 0-2 Jags. Kyler Murray is an MVP candidate. Trevor Lawrence is not doing well right now, so it's the Cardinals easy. Another easy one, the Washington football team visit the Buffalo Bills. Both teams are 1-1, but the Bills you know, were in the AFC Championship game last season. Washington made the playoffs, but they are not on the same level. Here's an interesting one. The New Orleans Saints at the New England Patriots. Both teams are 1-1. I'm going to give this one to the Patriots. You know, if this was the Week 2 matchup, I would have given it to the Saints because of how insane Jameis Winston was Week 1. But he was god-awful Week 2. So off of recency bias, I think Mac Jones outduels Jameis Winston at home. 
Next up, the Cincinnati Bengals and Pittsburgh Steelers in a divisional matchup. These teams are bitter rivals. Both teams are one and one. This one's tough. I'm gonna give you know because the Bengals don't look like, don't look like, you know they're not a playoff team in my opinion, but they don't look like the Bengals of old either. Uh, but I think the Steelers are just a better team. You know Ben Roethlisberger, Juju, they're at home. I'm giving the edge to the Steelers. I wonder, you know what? I'm gonna look at all the games at the spread. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give my predictions at the spread, but I'm gonna just kind of comment on each one real quick. I'm gonna go go down the go down the line. Let's see. Sporting news, week three against the spread. What do we got? Buccaneers-Rams is going to be the, the game of the week for sure. Two best teams in the NFL right now. Oh, wow. The Buccaneers are minus one and a half. If the Buccaneers are minus one and a half, I'm going to hammer the Rams. I think the Rams win that game at home. I think whoever's the home team wins that game. Yeah, the Panthers are minus seven at the Texans. Not a surprise. Eagles, Cow the Cowboys are minus three and a half against the Eagles. The lock of the week, according to Sporting News, is the Broncos at minus ten and a half over the Jets. Honestly, I don't know. Like, I could see the Broncos winning that game by nine points. And that bet missing. Upset of the week is the Packers um, beating the 49ers at minus three and a half. I could definitely see that one. Colts at the Titans. Titans are minus four and a half against the Colts. You know, if Carson wins place, I could, I might put money on the Colts. The Giants are minus three against the Falcons. That's, you know, that's fair. You know, both teams are bad, but the Giants are better than the Falcons. Chiefs minus seven against the Chargers. With how the Chiefs have been playing, I might put money on the Chargers at the spread low key. Steelers are minus four and a half against the Bengals. Yeah, that's fair. I would say minus four, minus four and a half. That's more than fair. The Browns are minus seven and a half against the Bears. Yeah, I would go with the Browns. Ravens minus seven and a half at the Lions. That's fair as well. So the Patriots are minus three against the Saints. Like I said, I'd give the edge to the Patriots. Minus three is a slight edge. Cardinals minus seven and a half at the Jaguars. Lots of seven and a half uh, spreads this week. The Bills are minus eight and a half against Washington. Low key, like I might, I, I would consider putting money on Washington. I could see the Bills winning this one by only seven points, maybe eight. You know, but the spread is at minus eight and a half because Taylor Heineke is real nice. They got Antonio Gibson and um, what's his name? Fuck. What's that other guy's name, bro? Fuck. What's, what's his name? Um, McKissick. They got McKissick and Gibson on the ground. So Raiders minus four and a half against the Dolphins. Yeah, I think the Raiders are a better team. The Raiders are a playoff team this year, in my opinion. The Seahawks only minus one and a half against the Vikings. That's crazy. I would hammer the Seahawks. I think they blow, they blow the Vikings out. Even though the Vikings did do well against the Cardinals, I guess, I guess that's the rationale. That makes sense. Uh, but with that said, we're now almost 35 minutes into this podcast episode, and we're not done yet. I'm going to go all the way. I don't know how long this is going to take. It might, we might go close to an hour. This might be an hour-long episode. I don't think I've ever had one that long. But fuck it, you only live once. And we actually, believe it or not, have some uh, baseball to talk about next. Salvador Perez has been, you know, he's not an MVP candidate. He would be, I mean, normally. But uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is in the Triple Crown race. He would be the first MLB player to win the Triple Crown since Miguel Cabrera, I believe. Shohei Otani is running away with the American League MVP, though. So because of that, only because of that, uh, that's that's the only reason why Salvador Perez is not the American League MVP. Uh, let me just pull up the story. So, yeah, I mean, Salvador Perez is having an unbelievable year. He has He's in the history books. I mean, he launched his 46th home run of the season in the fifth inning of Monday's game against the Cleveland Indians. That total put him ahead of former Cincinnati Reds backstop Johnny Bench for the most home runs in a single season for a player who primarily plays catcher. Um, let's see. I mean, Bench congratulated the new record holder on the achievement. He Obviously, he knew about it. Perez has definitely turned heads throughout the season with his power numbers, including when he hit 28 home runs in the opening round of the Home Run Derby. Unfortunately for the Royals catcher, he was matched up against the eventual champion, Pete Alonso, in, and lost in the first round. 
he had 27 homers back-to-back in 2017 and 2018, but missed the entire 2019 season because of an elbow injury. And then he only played 37 games in last year's shortened season. But he's unbelievable. I mean, he's a five-time gold glover, three-time silver slugger, 2015 World Series MVP. People forget how good Salvador Perez really is, how important he was to the Kansas City Royals World Series championship team. And, um, yeah, he also made a seventh career All-Star game that year. So Salvador Perez is real nice. And with that, I'm going to I'm gonna transition to the NBA. What a legendary career it's been for J.J. Redick. He has called it quits. He is retiring from the NBA after 15 years in the league. He made the announcement on his Old Man and the Three podcast. That's a funny name. Reading a prepared statement before speaking from the heart regarding his decision. While he noted there have been multiple factors that led to his retirement, primarily, you know, pointing to the need to eventually undergo surgery to repair an Achilles injury. He has, ki- you know, he has kids to a family, so I- it makes sense. He's also 37 years old. That is, that's old for the NBA. He averaged 7.4 points on 39.7% shooting, 37% from three for the New Orleans Pelicans and Dallas Mavericks uh, last season. The Pelicans dealt Redick to the to the Mavericks prior to the March 25th trade deadline. The former Duke superstar, who was probably the most hated man in the NBA when he came into the league, uh, was the cons- consensus National College Men's Player of the Year in 2006. And he played, obviously, for 15 years uh, between the Orlando Magic, Milwaukee Bucks, Los Angeles Clippers, Philadelphia 76ers, Pelicans, and Mavericks last season. Um, he averaged just under 13 points on 44.7% shooting, 41.5% from three for his career, and he posted a career-high 18 points per game in 2018-19 for the Philadelphia 76ers. I was very surprised when he left uh, Philly for the Pelicans. That was a very weird move. I remember it was the first move of that year, that summer's free agency. forgot what year it was exactly. Uh, he was the number 11 pick in the 2006 NBA draft by the Magic. And while he never won a championship or made an all-star team, he's you know he definitely did live up to his draft status, his draft uh, selection, in my opinion. That, that's just my opinion. J.J. Redick is a legend. I mean, he's someone that's been a vital role player his entire career. Now let's switch gears uh, back to football. Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger is dealing with a left pectoral injury that could affect his preparation for Sunday's game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Quote, we better be ready to be adjustable, his head coach Mike Tomlin told reporters Tuesday. Roethlisberger is completing 62.5% of his passes through two games, which ranks 27th in the NFL, but he's definitely the best the Steelers have at that position. He's thrown for 483 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. The deep pass has not been a part of Pittsburgh's offensive attack as the quarterback is averaging only 6.7 yards per attempt. Um, so we'll see. I'm not sure who their backup is. I, I guess it's still... Um, Fuck, what was that guy's name, bro? The guy that played for Oklahoma State. Oh, my God, I forgot his name. He was dating a, a very hot woman, too. I forgot, I forgot his name. Uh, switching gears to more football. This was really cool to see. I was very happy that it all worked out. Green Bay Packers running back Aaron Jones said a necklace containing his father's ashes, which went missing during his four-touchdown performance against the Detroit Lions on Monday Night Football, has been found. He confirmed the news Tuesday on 97.3 The Game's The Steve Sabin Show. The 2020 Pro Bowl selection racked up 115 total yards along with his four touchdowns to the end zone in the Packers' win over the NFC North rival Detroit Lions. Jones's father, Alvin Jones Sr., died from complications due to COVID-19 in April at the age of only 57. May God rest his soul. That's so incredibly sad. Uh, the 26-year-old Georgia native told ESPN's Lisa Salters after Monday's game that he planned to help the Lambeau Field Grounds crew search for the necklace. Quote, I'll go look for it, but I know he's happy. He'd be happy and say, if you lose it anywhere, lose it in the end zone. That's That's awesome. He added, uh, he added his season will be dedicated to his father. I think he'd be very proud of me. He'd tell me to continue to work, and this is only the beginning. Uh, that's, that's awesome to see. It's, it's just the kind of thing that makes your heart feel warm, makes you feel fuzzy on the inside. And um, I'm just very happy that he was able to find, find the chain. 
Drama in Philly. Ben Simmons does not plan to report for Philadelphia 76ers training camp next week and is prepared to face the potential fines and suspensions necessary to force a trade. Honestly, Joel Embiid could, should talk to him. I mean, maybe they have beef. Maybe that's another aspect that I'm that we don't know about. Uh, Woj of ESPN reported Simmons, quote, intends to never play another game for the franchise. He has cut off all communication with the team since, uh, since an August meeting in Los Angeles in which he informed the team, the team management of his plan to hold out of training camp. The situation is shaping up to be as toxic, if not more so, than what James Harden forced him than when James Harden forced himself uh, away from the Houston Rockets last season. Which it's very tough to match that. And if Simmons is going to make it even more toxic, that is truly an achievement because because I mean, <laughs> I'm just dissing James Harden, but um, Harden eventually showed up and played dispassionate dis- dis- basketball until the Rockets got fed up and traded him. But Simmons plans to force the Sixers' hand by not showing up at all, and we'll see if he'll be able to. It would be absolutely unprecedented for a player to potentially forego his salary in an effort to leave a franchise, especially a $33 million uh, salary. And it's not just the fact that he wants to leave a franchise and forego a salary, which is mind-boggling enough as it is. It's the fact that the Philadelphia 76ers have been a perennial championship contender in the NBA for the last few seasons. So that just makes no sense to me whatsoever. But hey, I mean, he's his own man. He does he does what he wants. And yeah, now we're the 40 minute mark. Uh, I only have a handful of podcast episodes that went over 40 minutes. Uh, this one will probably be, you know, near 50, I would say. San Jose Sharks winger Evander Kane is facing allegations of sexual assault and domestic violence by his estranged wife, Anna Kane. AJ Perez of the front office of front office sports obtained court documents that detailed Anna Kane's accusations as part of a domestic violence restraining order application filed on Tuesday. Perez noted the NHL declined to comment when asked about the accusations, obviously. Per TMZ Sports, Anna Kane filed for a divorce on July 16th. She also accused Evander Kane of gambling on NHL games, including intentionally throwing games where he was playing in order to win money, which is just very that's scumbag material. Uh, in, in response to the betting accusations, Kane wrote on Twitter that he has, quote, never in all, cap, in all capital letters bet or gambled on hockey, uh, Sharks games, and has never thrown a game that he was playing in. Perez reported earlier this month that the NHL's investigation into the gambling accusations against Kane had stalled. Quote, an examination of betting trends for Sharks games last season didn't show any abnormalities, so looks like there won't be anything there. Anna Kane's domestic violence restraining order filing comes after Evander Kane obtained his own restraining order against her last month. It just seems like two very immature and bad people, honestly. TMZ Sports reported Evander Kane was granted a domestic violence temporary restraining order after he said Anna Kane hit him multiple times and threw things at him in the past. According to TMZ, Evander Kane has been seeking a permanent restraining order against Anna with a hearing scheduled for some time in September. September, you know, is over in eight days, nine days. So he's entering his fourth full season with the San Jose Sharks. He also played for the Atlanta Thrashers, Winnipeg Jets. Those are the same team. And Buffalo Sabres in his NHL career. But that's just, I mean, Evander Kane, yo, you got to you gotta fix your life up. I remember, I remember there were stories about him being bankrupt. And there was financial controversies, you know, not involving the whole betting thing. Uh, so we're going to transition to the NFL. This uh, just came out today. There, there has been significant blowback regarding the NFL's emphasis on taunting penalties this season, but the league believes the enforcement has been, quote, going as planned, according to Mark Mask of the Washington Post. The NFL has no immediate plans to have its competition committee intervene to modify enforcement of the rule, according to three people familiar with the situation Mask reported. The league believes the players will adjust to the new policy. There have been 11 taunting calls through two weeks of the 2021 NFL season, including eight. Eight out of 11 in week two. The NFL announced in August it would strictly enforce taunting this season as one of its points of emphasis. Um, New York Giants owner John Mara, who was on the competition committee, discussed the reasoning last month, saying, quote, We get kind of sick and tired of the taunting that does, that does go on from time to time on the field. 
We tried to balance the sportsmanship with allowing the players to have fun, and there's always a fine line there, but none of us like to see that. It's just a question of whether you can have rules that can be enforced and without taking the fun out of the game too. But nobody wants to see a player taunting another player. I know I certainly don't. I think the rest of the members of the competition committee feel the same way too. Personally, as a fan, this might be an unpopular opinion, but sometimes something tells me it's not. I, I'm, I'm in favor of taunting. I think it's people, you know, if you, if you don't like taunting, you're just soft, but that's just my opinion. Uh, quote, you're taking the passion and the, and, the, and the emotions out of the game of football. Seattle Seahawks safety Jamal Adams said of the officiating per Brady Henderson of ESPN. Adams noted his team will have to, quote, play smarter to avoid penalties in the future, which is seemingly exactly what the NFL wants. But taunting could remain a divisive topic as the season progresses and in future seasons uh, as well. So my opinion, I agree with Jamal Adams. I mean, I see both arguments. I see both sides for sure. But if I had to pick one, I would agree with Jamal Adams. I think taunting should be allowed as long as it's not like, you know, insane. Um, now let's switch gears back to Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, here are Doc Rivers' thoughts on the whole situation. He confirmed Wednesday that point guard Ben Simmons has asked for a trade. But the Philadelphia 76ers head coach reiterated the organization desires to keep him. According to ESPN's first take, Rivers said that while Simmons wants out, the Sixers are not giving up on the idea of keeping him. Rivers said, quote, I can tell you up front, we would love to get Ben back. And if we can, we're going to try to do that. You know, Ben has a long contract, so it's so it's in our hands and we want him back. He's basically saying that he's, he's basically also saying we have the leverage. He does not. He added that he believes the 76ers can win an NBA title with Simmons. That's the latest Doc Rivers wants. Doc Rivers and the Sixers organization want Ben Simmons back. And gears. Uh, to football to close out this episode of Sean's Sports Stop. Justin Fields will get his time to shine. Chicago Bears quarterback Justin Fields will make his, his first NFL start this Sunday against the Cleveland Browns. Coach Matt Nagy said Wednesday, Andy Dalton has been ruled out for the Week 3 contest uh, after suffering a knee injury in last week's win over the Cincinnati Bengals, his former team. Fields replaced Dalton and threw for 60 yards and an interception while adding 31 yards on the ground. Nagy maintain, maintained that Dalton is his starting quarterback when healthy, though. Though he noted the team is, quote, ready to attack this thing moving forward, protest as much as he wants, Nagy, and basically everyone else knows Fields is auditioning this weekend to take the starting job permanently, and something tells me he will. I think he's going to have a great game. I think he's going to live up to the moment and the expectations, not the expectations, but the pressure and the eyes watching him. The embattled Bears coach has already taken criticism for starting Dalton in the first place. Going back to uh, the veteran, if Fields plays well, could create a revolt in the fan base and potentially cause friction in the locker room, and obviously the fans would be pissed as well. If Field struggles, Nagy could easily go back to Dalton without as much of a you know hoopla. That would be considered a normal move. The Ohio State product won't have an easy track in his first NFL start with the Browns boasting a very, I mean, an elite pass rush spearheaded by Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney. Cleveland's only recorded three sacks through the first two weeks, but it's only a, it's only a matter of time before that those talented uh, pass rushers figure it out. Fields took two sacks, losing 25 yards last week against the Bengals and never seemed very comfortable throwing in the pocket. The Bears will hope for a better result this season. Let's see if there's uh, anything else to talk about. Not really. That's all we have for this episode of the Sean Sports Stop podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. This one's a fucking banger. 47 minutes. I'm just going to, you know, chill for the next eight seconds so we can hit 47 minutes. <laughs> I might do it to 50. No, I won't do that. Five more seconds. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love you guys. And I'm out.